turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. As we're going through Romans, um, I trust you're praying, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding that we may see the the truths of God as they apply in our lives. And last week, as we looked at Romans chapter 1, we looked beginning at verse 18, where he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So, he is beginning a discourse on the realities of the wrath of God, which will eventually lead into um, justification by faith, which we said last week, the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And and then he said, and this is really the book of Romans, the key to the book of Romans, the gospel, and that the just shall live by faith. And so he goes in, and it's almost like Paul is a prosecuting attorney. And I want you to kind of picture that in your mind today as we walk through chapters 2 and and chapters 3 in kind of an overview. So in chapter 1... He says the wrath of God, and, and as a prosecuting attorney, he is, he is saying this is why you are guilty and the wrath of God abides on you. And I'm not going to go over what we went over last week, but in, in chapter 1, the remainder of that, he's dealing with the pagan, those that did not retain God in their knowledge. And he, he paints the picture of them, and he says, you had a knowledge of God, because creation shows that. And he says, because of that, you have, you have rejected God, and because of that, you are without excuse. He says that in that chapter. In other words, he says, you are guilty. And then it's almost like Paul is in his mind and in this letter that God directed him to write, that that then he you know he's he's preaching over here, so to speak, to the pagan, and then he turns around and he sees these smug people standing over here saying, Boy, I'm glad I'm not a pagan like they are. Whew boy, Paul really gave it to them, didn't he? And in chapter two He then goes in and he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, because you judge others the very same thing that you are condemning them for, you are condemned. So he's now, he's he's established his case with the pagan, now he's dealing with the moral people, the moralists. And he says, I want you to know that you are condemned. And we're, we're kind of given an overview of these. But if you've read this, you'll notice this. 
He says, you are condemned for two reasons. Number one, your own judgment. What you, he's writing to them and saying to them, what you judge as sin, you have in your own life. The same root cause of what you judge. Oh, look at those pagan and look at them and what they do. And, and he goes in and he says, um, you know, the very same things that you're judging in them. And, and the issue, he's not dealing with the topic of judgment. He's showing them that they are guilty just like the pagan. They are, they are not condemned for the judgment. They're condemned because they have sin just like the pagan do. They may, humanly speaking, be more moral, but they have the same root sins. They have the same sin of pride. They have the same sin of deception. And, and he goes in and he deals with this. And, and he says, you're really not obeying the truth either. So he, he jumps into this. And he says, the pagans are condemned. And now he turns and he addresses those that are moral. And he says, you're condemned for two reasons. Your own judgment condemns you because the very thing you judge others in is what you have sin in your own life. And then he says, you are judged by the judgment of God. And you notice... He says in verse 2, but we know the judgment of God, and, and now he's going in. These are moral people. They would, they would be people you'd choose to have neighbors over the pagans. But he says, you are just as guilty before God as the pagans. And he says, the judgment of God, and he lists some things about the judgment of God. He said, it is according to truth, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So he says, you know what? God knows the truth. He knows your heart. He knows the truth. And he then goes on and says, and I, I mentioned we're kind of skipping through this, but notice if you'd, if you'd look in verse 6. Well, let me back up, but in a, verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. So God says, I know your heart. You have an unrepentant heart. And God is judging according to truth. He is also judging according to your deeds. And Paul is saying, God can, can bring up deeds from your life that will prove that you're guilty. So he's, he's bringing the case to these moral people, humanly speaking, that thought they were above the pagans. And he says, here's the problem. You're just as guilty as they are. And God is going to judge according to truth. He's going to judge according to deeds. And in verses 12 through 15, 
He's going to, to judge according to the law and the conscience and the moral light that has been given to people to whom much has been given, much will be required. And notice then if you'd look in verse 16. In verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So he wraps up this passage about the the moral people. He says, I'm reminding you, don't get thinking you're better than the pagans. God is going to judge you according to truth. He knows what you really are. He's going to judge us according to the deeds, according to the law and our conscience, and he's going to judge us according to the secret things of the heart. Judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying everything is open before God. And they pagans may be open in their rebellion against God, but God knows your heart, is what he's saying. And so, lest the moral people were feeling smug about the judgment on the pagans, he now comes to the moral people and he brings this judgment. And they are guilty before God. And then it's as though Paul looks And he sees over here the Jews. And they say, the pagans, the moral Gentiles, Greeks, we are the Jews. We are God's chosen people. We go back to Abraham. And he begins in verse 17 to then press his case and to press his cause against the Jews. They claim to be exempt from condemnation based on the law. We have the law and we seek to follow the law. And they claim based on the law and based on circumcision, see, this is an act that proves we are God's people. So uh, we're not like the pagans. We're not like these moralists that in their heart are still against God. We, we have the law. We seek to obey the law by circumcision. And on top of that, verses 28 and 29 We were born into God's family. We can trace it all the way back to Abraham. We are God's chosen people. And and so in this, he presses the case. And, And he says, you know, you claim that you have the law, but you do not the things that are in the law. What good is that to you? And he goes on and he says, circumcision doesn't avail anything. Um, Just an outward sign of what supposedly was to take place inwardly. If there has been no change inwardly, what did it it help you? And, and, And then he deals with the aspect of by birth. He said, it's not the Jew that is one by birth 
that is important to God. It's the one that is God's child in his heart. And so the Jews then said, they, he anticipated their objections here. And beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, it's like, well, what, what's the advantage of being a Jew? I mean, if you're saying the law and being born into Abraham's family and circumcision don't help us any, and we're still guilty before the law, before God, what's, what's the advantage of being a Jew? And Paul said, one of the advantages you have being a Jew is you have received the oracles of God. You have received the law of God. You have received the scriptures. And it is through the law that he'll bring out comes the knowledge of sin. And, and he says to them, um, dealing with their objections, that you have received the law of God, but you have disobeyed God's law. But even in the midst of your disobedience, God has proven faithful. Your disobedience has been an occasion to show the glory of God. And like a typical human being, the Jews said, Oh, so we shouldn't have the wrath of God. This is what he's saying in this passage. Because through our disobedience, God is being glorified. God ought to bring his wrath on the pagans. Man, they are bad. Look at Romans chapter 1. They are bad. And these hypocritical moralists... They're hypocrites, but we're showing the glory of God even through our disobedience. So see, God is being glorified through our disobedience. So stop this wrath of God on us. And Paul says, God abides faithful no matter what man does. And just because God is glorified no matter what, that does not remove his wrath on you as Jews, is what he's saying in verses 1 through 8. And, and Paul is saying, if God's righteousness is shown through our unrighteousness, the sinfulness of man, God is still right in judging sin. So we go back. The end of chapter 1, the pagan are guilty. The beginning of chapter 2, the moral moralists are guilty. The last part of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, he's dealing with the Jews. You are guilty. So he's pressing his case. It's almost before a judge pressing his case. And then it's almost like he comes back and he says, I want to make sure everybody has this clear. I want to make sure pagan, moral, Jews, whatever. And he, he goes into the passage that we read earlier, beginning at verse 9. And he says, We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are under sin. He's now, he's now not dividing it up into these little groups. He's saying, here's the point. Everybody is under sin. Everybody is guilty. And it's, and it's like an indictment that he is bringing. 
And, and he, he spells it out in verses 10, <coughs> excuse me, 10 through 12. He is saying, we are all depraved in character. Notice what he says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They are all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And in this, Paul is is quoting many passages from the Old Testament. So the Jews that were hearing this, they understood that. But he's applying it across the board. And he says, we are depraved in character. There's there's not a one of us that seeks after God. There's not a one of us that is righteous. There's not a one of us that that does good. And he, he, no, not even one. And he knows that how how self-rationalization comes in. Well, I believe they all are, but I'm probably good to go. No. He said he clearly says we are depraved in character. 1 Corinthians 2:14, the natural man, the man without Christ does not receive the things of God. He doesn't understand them. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the iniquities of us all. And and here Paul is is alluding to that. In in John chapter 3, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We are fundamentally foundationally, from the core, depraved, sinful, under the condemnation of God. But then he drives it home even further. He then says, we are depraved in speech. He says, their throats are like the stench of an open grave. Probably none of us here have have been around the stench of an open grave. You've probably been around a dead animal that you're walking through the pasture and you think, what is that foul smell? And you find out there's a, a dead animal over here that's maggots all over it and infested. And, and, and you know what... you. Most everyone here has been around death in some some manner. If it's a, a minor little mouse that you forgot was in a trap until it really started stinking, and somebody said, there's a foul smell here. Paul's painting a picture. He, he says here that our speech stinks. He's not saying we have bad breath. He said, from out of the heart comes our speech, and our speech has the stench of an open grave. He then says, our tongues are full of lies. This is across the board. Pagan, moral, Jews, everybody he's saying. I want to make 
I want to make it clear, the wrath of God is on everyone he's saying here. Their tongues are filled with lies. Their lips are full of poisonous venom. We're not going to go in and do a lesson. We could do a series on the tongue. But Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And, and there's a lot more death going on in the power of the tongue than there is life. And it is poisonous venom. He says, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I, I would think if there is one ailment that is prevalent in mankind today, it is bitterness. I mean, it is incredible the, the root of bitterness that they're in is. And he said their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So he's, he's breaking it down. You're depraved by your very nature, your very character. He then says you're depraved in your speech. And then he says you are depraved in your conduct, verses 15 through 18. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Their, their, their feet are swift to commit murder. And, and you notice Jesus taught about murder. If in the old times you heard it was said, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, Jesus said, that whosoever is angry with his brother... He it is that has already committed murder. And if he say to his brother Rekha, he is in danger of the judgment. If he say, thou fool, he is in danger of hellfire. Jesus is bringing it down to the issue of the heart. And, and Paul is dealing with this. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery follow them. Wherever you go. Paul is saying, it's destruction and misery. I mean, you look at the history of mankind, and wherever mankind goes, it's destruction and misery, it seems. And then he goes on and he says, the way of peace they have not known. They're restless. There is no peace. They, they don't know where to find peace. And it's all because... Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So, as a prosecuting attorney, he dealt with the pagan, the moral, the Jews. Then he dealt with everybody, and it comes back, wow, we are guilty. And he says in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Paul rests his case. He said, here's the facts, and there's not anyone that can open their mouth and contradict anything I've said. The whole world is guilty before God. That every mouth may be stopped, you know, You've, you've been in situations where there's people, yeah, yeah, but what about this? What about this? No. 
when we stand before the court of God, every mouth will be stopped. There will be no yabbats. There'll be no, what about this? I'm an exception. Here's a loophole. We are guilty before God. There, there is no hope. The wrath of God abides on us. Because we are the ones. It's not we're better than the pagan or the moralist or the Jews because we're, we're Americans or we're this or that. No, this is, this is the judgment. This is the dark picture. This is, this is us. This is me. And then, it'd be horrible... It'd be horrible if we stopped the message right there today. And you might say, no, that wouldn't be so bad. Go ahead. Well, from my perspective, it'd be horrible because that's a horrible place to end. Awaiting, Awaiting the verdict of the judge. I mean, it's clearly been proven. There, there is no loophole. And, and the sentence of the judge to come down and then... And then, as a bright light, verse 21, Paul paints this dark picture, but he says, but now, and, it, and it's like if you pictured in the courtroom, and, and Paul is pressing the prosecution, and they're all hanging their heads there in shame. We are hanging our heads there in shame. And then it's like Paul says, but now, and he points to the back door of the courtroom and in comes the righteousness of God. And in the next several chapters, he's going to be telling us about the righteousness of God. Right there, you ought to, you ought to circle that in your Bible or mark it. But now, I mean, this is dark. This is bad. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Hallelujah being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is what the law and the prophets talked about. Isaiah said, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel. And Paul is saying, they talked about this. They talked about the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all, pagan, moral, Jews, to all, And upon all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And he is going to go on and expand on this. The verdict. There is no defense. There's universal sin, universal guilt, universal silence. We, we had nothing that we could argue with it. But now, and Paul brings in the midst of the utter darkness, the blazing light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 22, verse 24, justified freely. In other words, we are made just as if we never sinned, and it's freely. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Justified freely by His grace. And he says then in verse 27, Where then is boasting? 
it is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Who can boast? Pagans, moral, Jews? No, no. We're all guilty. We can only boast in the cross, in the grace of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The, the reality of this, as, as we see it, and as we see the enormity of our guilt, the songs that we sang, I, I have an advantage because I, I know what the message is going to be, and so I think the songs probably mean more to me than, than they may to you because I've... I've been thinking on this all week. But notice this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me. I stink like an open grave. My feet are quick in running to mischief. My heart is, is bent on evil. My mouth is, is full of lies and poisonous venom. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Oh, my, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Verse 3, he took my sins and my sorrows. We can't even begin to paint the picture of our sin. He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. And He says, how marvelous. How wonderful. We then sang verse verse 134. Hymn 134. Let me just say, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me, Who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be? I did not not like to retain God in my knowledge. I did not seek after God. It was God pursuing me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, And nature's night. Here we are. We're before the judge. Condemned. Guilty. We're just waiting the sentence of the judge. But God's eye diffused a quickening ray. But now the righteousness of God is revealed. His eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart is free. I arose, went forth from that courtroom abundantly free. Amen? We were totally guilty before God and knew that we had, had capital punishment written all over us. But now the righteousness of God was revealed. Man, if that, if that doesn't stir our hearts, this is, this is God. No condemnation now I dread. 
Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head, and I'm clothed in righteousness divine, so that I can bold approach the throne of God. Um, We sang in Christ alone, and in it it said, the wrath of God was satisfied. Oh, baby, here, I deserved all of the wrath of God. But in Christ alone, the wrath of God was satisfied. And then, then we sang, grace greater than our sin. And the, the second verse, dark is the stain. That we cannot hide. Here we are standing guilty. We can't deny it. We can't hide it. We can't run from it. What can avail to wash it away? And then it's like, but now. The songwriter says, look, look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow we may be today. I mean, the darkness of this, the wrath of God is on me, but... But now, Paul says, and he's going to go in and expand on it. The songwriter said, what can avail to wash it away? Look, 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 there is a crimson tide that can wash it away. This is the gospel. This is why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation, and it's it's ours through faith. But then a song that, that we're going to sing here at the end. Rock of ages cleft for me. And you might, you might say, I grew up here. But look, the songwriter got this. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Meaning, if I could have a zeal that knew no end, and if my tears would forever flow, my sorrow for my sin, once I realized I was guilty, and I cried and cried and cried, and I said, I'll do whatever you want, were that to happen, all for sin could not atone. You must save, and you alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. And then he said, foul I to thy fountain fly. He's not foul, F-O-W-L. It's foul like I am, I am a foul smell. I I am corrupted and stained. And he said, I run to your fountain to be cleansed because it's only you that can cleanse me. And he says, wash me, Savior, or I die. Meaning, God, unless, unless you grant forgiveness, I will be forever separated from you because my sin is is too great for anything that I can do. There's nothing that I can do. 
And so Paul presses his case and he, he makes a dark, dark picture and then he throws the door open. But now the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven in Jesus Christ. And we're going to go in in the book of Romans and see the depths of the riches of the wisdom and love of God in, in amazing ways. And so Paul built all this case to then usher us into this amazing love. How can it be? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that you speak truth and and you don't gloss over. You tell us that we are wretched sinners and the wrath of God abides on us. And Lord, I am thankful that you speak the truth. And I am thankful for that glorious light that shone in the darkness that truly says, but now the righteousness of you apart from the law is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray For any individual here today that has never obeyed your Spirit's prompting to run to you for forgiveness, Lord, I pray today that they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins as you draw them to you. And then, Lord, I pray today for every one of us as believers, forgive us where we've taken this for granted. Lord, may our hearts be filled to overflowing with joy and gratitude for the forgiveness that we have freely in Christ Jesus. And Lord, may it be manifested in our lives after all you have done for us. How can we do less than give you our best? So, Lord, we plead your mercies today. May the truths of this passage grip our hearts today and may it truly transform how we see you, how we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we see your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's